politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight for our life, liberty, property. Once again, to the CR podcast. This is your host, Daniel Hurwitz, back here for Wednesday, April the 13th, for your one-stop shop of independent conservative talk. And what does independent conservatism mean? We will be talking about that later today with our special guest, a friend of mine who who has worked so long in the so-called conservative movement, but who, like me, recognizes its failures and that it has failed us strategically, intellectually, morally, it's just a bunch of losers running around with fundraisers. We have new new challenges that are of biblical magnitude. I mean, when you look at what they are trying to do to our lives, our hospitals becoming killing fields, our border is just insane. The crime, um, you know, th- there's another issue too that we have blood libels accusing everyone of white supremacism, criminalizing being white, just like they criminalize you, you know, breathing and not doing uh, the clot shots. And then, in fact, we actually have the government and media and culture fueling a black nationalist, black supremacist movement. Um, you know, we have a suspect now in the Brooklyn shooting. Yeah, you probably didn't hear much about that. Just like you didn't hear much about Waukesha, just like you didn't hear much about um, the Louisville attempted assassination on a Jewish mayoral candidate by a BLM uh, Farrakhan guy, assassination of uh, Daytona cops, um, also by the hands of black militiamen. Yeah, you didn't hear about that either. And numerous attacks against individual uh, Jewish victims in New Jersey recently, not just the ones from a few years ago, also by black nationalists. So that's another issue I want to get into sometime soon. Um, but you look, you look around, everything going on, do you feel behind you a chorus, an echo, a stampeding of the feet, the, the you know, reserves are coming, the reinforcements are coming. Wow, just vote Republican and we're going to, no, they don't even speak our language. They're like, COVID's over, we don't want to talk about it. What? The shots are killing people. The denial of care, what are you talking about? Denial of, you know, like we had yesterday's show, denial of organ transplants and crazy things. I didn't, I was going to talk about something else today, but a friend of mine in the New Hampshire house calls me up out of nowhere and says there's a bill that passed the New Hampshire Senate. It's run by Republicans. So at a time when we need a patient bill of rights, we need to criminalize and arrest these doctors denying care um, giving people toxic medicines, kicking family members out, horrible things going on in American hospitals, Joseph Mengele test centers. Not only don't Republicans pass positive legislation to redress the worst of grievances with the biomedical field being weaponized as the most potent tool of tyranny against us, but they actually proactively passed new bills to empower them. What was the first thing that happened in Animal Farm when Napoleon started seizing power and the pigs realized, not the pigs, but other animals realized, wait a minute, this is not what we thought it was. He armed Napoleon with an army of dogs. Because it's for our safety. 
against violence. The blood libel, they projected on you. So they're engaging in violence. They're literally killing people. But they have a bill now, the Healthcare Workplace Violence Act. Ooh, you know, who would support violence against healthcare workers? That's terrible. They're very smart about this. You have the hospital associations, the most powerful lobby in state legislators, even more than the Chamber of Commerce. And they're pushing these bills. So there's this bill, New Hampshire Senate Bill uh, 459, has a commission, a commission to study violence in healthcare settings. It has the ability to scan any ID in the hospital, and the hospital could store it forever, all your information. But here's the kicker. It makes it easier to arrest people. Now you think, well, you know, we don't, we don't want any violence, right? We don't believe in that. Here's the deal. Workplace violence is defined by any act or threat of physical violence, harassment, intimidation, or other threatening behavior that occurs at a health facility, including verbal abuse, without regard to whether the victim sustains an injury, psychological trauma, or stress. Folks, this sent chills down my spine because I just had a cousin who was dealing with in the hospital that they literally were killing his mother. And he's not, you know, he certainly didn't get violent or anything, but he was just like, you know, very distraught and saying, look, you know, what's the deal? Give us information. And they threatened to call security on him. And I've heard this from a lot of people. I've seen this a lot throughout COVID, but they're doing it to other ailments too because they're killing people all over now. So they're now um, making synonymous with physical violence any dissent, challenging the doctors verbally, debating them, questioning them. And this is emblematic of broadly what we're seeing here in the country with the California bills, that they want to weaponize science and weaponize healthcare they already have to quell dissent. You can't ask for other treatment. You can't block treatment. You can't question. You can't question a doctor. But it's only the doctors we say, of course. there's a clause of this bill, arrest without a warrant. He or she has probable cause to believe that the person to be arrested has committed a misdemeanor or violation, and if not immediately arrested, such person will not be apprehended, Um, yada, 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 will destroy or conceal evidence, will do this, will do that. Who else could they arrest without a warrant? Or anyone, quote, while in the care of a medical professional on the premises of a residential care or healthcare facility, as defined in the RSA, through actual or threatened violence, interfere in the provision of medically necessary healthcare services. Interfere with medically necessary healthcare services. Again, it's a type of bill that in another time you read it, yeah, you know, all of us are against violence. We, you know, generally we think that we're not strong enough to deter violent criminals. And, you know, you go after a cop, you go after a doctor, we're all for that. But now that we see what's going on, verbally, remember, verbal abuse, intimidation, other threatening behavior, interfere with medically necessary care, okay? So if you're, it's not just like, you know, some violent thug comes in and like starts beating up doctors. We're talking about, you know, a family member who has the, you know, um, medical directive for the patient 
And they're like, I don't want remdesivir. I don't want what you're doing. I don't like what you're doing. We'll arrest you on the spot. And then the thought crossed my mind, wait a minute, if we're missing this, that means that they've already been pushing this for longer than we know. And I Googled it a little bit and I found Utah and Wisconsin, Republican states. I mean, Utah is a Democrat governor, but the legislature is a Republican, very strong Republican. They have a bill to make it a felony. Workplace violence and healthcare settings. I honestly haven't read the bills yet. I just found this out a couple minutes ago. But this is something we need to be on top of. This all fits in like a puzzle. Every time that they're threatened, but not in a physical violent way, but in, in, a, in a debating way, they want to quell all debate and criminalize you for challenging their criminal genocidal behavior. This is what passes Republican legislatures. So it's not just that we've gone this session barely passing good bills to redress the scope and severity of the biomedical tyranny, the lack of privacy, the invasion of privacy, the tracking, all this stuff. They are downright passing new bad stuff. And we don't even have anyone at home because you have to understand this time of year as the Legislatures, a lot of them are at a session, but as they race towards Cine die, they 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 uh they're done with the session. You could have a thousand bills in a given chamber flying back and forth within a few days. And there's no way you could even notice everything that goes on. Now you have like the big cultural bills where you'll have like the homosexual lobby chanting gay, you know, in the Florida chamber there that everyone's aware of. But then you'll have these technical provisions that are put in by the hospital lobbies, things like that. And they're they're not stupid. They're not going to make a big deal out of it. They might not even do press on it. They'll slip it in and you won't notice it. This is this is what we have to deal with with the Republican Party. And this is what the conservative movement has failed on. But meanwhile, they've given us a number of, you know, pro, you know, constitutional carry states. And in Oklahoma, I want to, in this context, I want to speak about Oklahoma. In Oklahoma, Governor Kevin Stitt, he signed the bill basically criminalizing anyone who performs an abortion outside of, you know, saving the mother's life. And in a past life, this would have been an amazing progress. And I would have really been all into it. But it's, I'm sorry, but it's hard to get into yesterday's war when they're aborting, mandating aborting, mandating all this stuff, we have nowhere to, our hospitals have become one large Planned Parenthood center. Oh, we banned Planned Parenthood in Oklahoma. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. <laughs> That's your medical system. We have bigger and better fights now. So, like, again, obviously, when if we succeeded in our sanctuary state, mentality and had a state one of the many things we have is a sanctuary for the unborn and we would you know ban abortion but if you're only gonna do that and then the governors fully support and yes Stitt supported the mass mandates he he says he didn't have one statewide but i know his staff pushed it on the localities give me a break if you're not gonna do anything to ban forced clot shots denial of treatment a patient bill of rights in the hospitals. I don't care. I honestly don't care. Okay? They're not forcing me to get an abortion yet. They are forcing me into the biomedical state in many, many ways. No, if I'm in charge, I would do both. But dude, don't dangle that in front of me. 
It's always yesterday's fight. That's what the conservative movement is all about. It drives me crazy. Drives me insane. Now, speaking about yesterday's fight, they're all about taxes, taxes. But the big issue was always we never fought on the spending, the Federal Reserve, the mainstream conservative movement never got involved in that. So guess what? Our money is worth nothing. With all this upheaval going on, and then the stupid sanctions on on Russia, prices are soaring beyond belief, a lot worse than what the government numbers are showing. As the dollar becomes worth less every day, transition some of your nest egg to something of worth with gold and silver from Birch Gold. That's right, Birch Gold, a longtime sponsor. They will help convert an IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered account. And gold and silver, you still have two more days to file your taxes. Get started now. Text Daniel to 989898 with thousands of satisfied customers, A-plus rating with Better Business Bureau. That's why I have turned to Birch Gold um, rather than putting another, you know, 6000 per person, per spouse into an IRA for uh, Vanguard or the cartel, put it into gold. Text Daniel to 989898 to get a free info kit. No obligation to understand how to go about doing this. Again, text Daniel to 989898 to protect your savings with gold. So, folks, notice they're always there. It's It's like... Um, you know, one legislator told me, and 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 this House Majority Leader is, is is somewhat better, like generally pretty good. He's like, really, you guys are still on to COVID, dude. It's not about COVID. Even if 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 they weren't continuing all this stuff, we would need to immunize ourselves from the the fifty other ways that they're currently not just in the future but currently planning plan, plotting against us but even the covid part isn't over the worst parts they just extended the mask mandate on the planes republicans spent nearly 2 years they wouldn't even file a lawsuit and again this is another thing you want to talk about today's issue you know we saw in shanghai one of the things that we saw was um Where is this? We saw these robots, these drones flying in the air, announcing people to get in, get in. You know, you better you better follow what we're doing. Man, we're sure glad we don't live in China, right? How about Dallas, Texas? At Dallas Love Field Airport, there's a seven foot tall robot that watches for unmasked travelers and curbside loiters. Dallas Lovefield, they're testing two security control observation towers at the airport. One at near baggage claim and another near security checkpoints. Um, their kiosk called Scott use artificial intelligence to detect someone not wearing a mask. This is in Dallas. So everyone thinks, oh, it's getting... See, I told you this. This is not an off-ramp. It's not even getting better. It's getting worse. Yeah, what got better were the broad things that you do every day. Politically, they couldn't keep it up, so they kind of temporarily suspended that. But where they get control over you and they're retaining it, they're getting it worse. The more the science proves that masks are harmful, doesn't help, shots are harmful, doesn't help, the more they enforce them in the worst, most draconian ways. Two-year-olds that you think like, okay, 
it's only the airplanes, the airports, like, you know, no one's really, no, now they're actually, because they never really enforced at the airports, you know, you could walk around except for at the TSA checkpoint, um, I never used it, um, never put it on, one time at BWI, a stupid loser, um, you know, the, the second I walked in the door, he jumped on me, but generally, you know, because he's stationed there, generally, they didn't have it, now, they're looking to see how to further enforce it in the airports, this is Dallas, Oh, Daniel, well, that's federal. The, the, the governor doesn't have control. But the, again, you know, f- first, at least use your voice. Has any Texas official spoken out against this? Okay, I would arrest, I, I, would, I would station troopers there and have a confrontation. Get, get this out of here. And this is what I want to talk about with our guests coming up. You, you can't be on to this thing of, oh, well, that's federal. If the feds violate human rights, violate constitutional rights, violate state powers, violate everything, you can't be like, any tool we have to fight back, oh, we're limited. No. If you look at the surveillance state, the artificial intelligence, what they're doing to our bodies, I don't want to hear about freaking abortion and guns and lower taxes. Relatively, for most people, we have the lowest taxes on earth. And more than at any time in our history. Especially below a certain income level. We have low tax, not just low tax socialism, low tax, you know, Nazism in this country. They control everything, but the taxes are low. Taxes aren't in the issue. Because they get the money to do all the fascism through printing it. So it's not like in Reagan's time when that was thought you starve the beast, you starve everything. That's not the issue anymore. Abortion, look, it's always bad. It's always murder. But there's worse forms of murder that you can't get around. This is the equivalent of forcing us to get an abortion. That's a bigger pro-life issue. That you don't have anywhere to go, not just for COVID treatment, but for any treatment anymore. Okay, that's that's the ultimate pro-life issue. Guns. That's, that's lovely, but if you have a two-tier judicial system that you don't redress, that doesn't allow you to defend yourself, and that lets out a bunch of criminals, and then you can't defend against them, and juices up black nationalism, well, then you got a problem. In other words, these are issues that they don't, all the issues we were talking about over the years, they don't deal with them. They deal with yesterday's issue. Where are the legislatures? And again, there's so much more COVID news I didn't get a chance to, to get to. DeSantis yesterday, I just want to be very clear. As long as I sit in the chair in which I sit, no Floridian will be restricted, mandated, or locked down in any possible way. And, he, and even that's not really the, the issue anymore because even if you don't mandate it, it's just the, the whole, we have to take proactive measures to uproot what they've done. But even that statement, what other governor is making it? You know, I'd rather hear a governor, again, you, you, you could call me names all you want that I'm, I'm, I'm dissenting from conservative orthodoxy. But if you gave me a choice, and again, you know, it's not, doesn't have to be a choice. If I had my own state, I would ban abortion too. But if you give me a choice between living in a state where you still have the biomedical fascism going on, where it matters and when it matters, not just, oh, we don't have those mandates anymore. Yeah, but the ones that really matter, you still do have in the medical profession. 
but you banned abortion versus a state where let's say you didn't ban abortion, but you addressed these issues, I'd pick the latter in a heartbeat. Okay, what does that do for me? I'm sorry. I know it's wrong, but it ain't my people getting abortions. I'm, I'm sick of exclusively falling on the sword for other people. We're going to worry about ourselves. We're under attack. You know, it's kind of like the, the, the Oklahoma bill is kind of like, for years we struggled to, to build a nice garden and we they, you know, kept being destroyed by, by people coming in and destroying our garden. Finally, we just we built up the garden. Daniel, isn't this conservative progress? Yeah, and while you're doing that, they're burning down your house. So yeah, you might have the garden and that might, that might in a vacuum represent conservative progress, but your house, which was never under assault, is now burned to the ground. Go live in your garden, buddy, and enjoy it because that's all you have. We will have some states with a lot of guns, few abortions, few taxes, and less freedom, but not just any freedom, the freedom that cuts to the core of the right to live and the ability to live and obtain health care and get medical choice is gone. Okay, because the medical system that was created from all this venture socialist fascism of government intervention in healthcare over 50, 60 years has made it that the system is just as bad in Florida and Oklahoma as it is in New York and California. Okay? In California, you'll have bills to downright mandate their stuff. In other states, you won't, but by default, it will be there. That's, that's what we're up against. These are the issues that matter. This is the difference between a conservative who knows what time it is versus one who doesn't know what time it is. Okay? If you are not at the cutting edge of what issues actually affect us, and then even the issues that do affect us, they're always a day late and a dollar short. I mean, you look at the clot shots, 833 athletes had cardiac arrest over the past year, 540 dead. Okay? 92% of all COVID cases in March in the UK were fully vaccinated. I could go on and on and on. 20% of the 1.2 million ailments in VAERS are cardiac-related. Cardiac ain't good. You know, the heart is kind of like called the heart for a reason. That's generally the easiest way to kill people. But I'm pro-life, Daniel. Make sure you get your shots. Here's your Pfizer. I, I don't support mandates, but, uh, you know, I can't really tell a hospital not to, you know, deny a heart transplant for that. I'm conservative. This is what we have now. If that's conservatism, I don't want any part of it. Everyone's a conservative, except nobody is. I mean, that, that's what it's been. See, I have a much narrower definition of conservatism, but at the same time, it's actually a bigger tent because it addresses the issues of our time. I don't know why it is now more than any time in history, we have fewer abortions than we've had. They're actually more zealous on that issue when it's less of an issue relative to other life-related issues that these same people are doing jack squat. 
So now they want to give the death penalty to people who do abortions. Okay, like, and, and in one bill in Texas, even the mother, it's like, really? So that's the way you want to attract people to our cause? So many people are waking up on, on what's going on with our government. I mean, that's where you're going to go? Just be very careful when you watch these legacy issues from otherwise idiotic Republicans. Remember, Kevin Stitt, the guy getting notoriety, this is the man to finally just ban abortion in the state. What an amazing guy. That guy's a dirtbag. That guy let out more criminals than Gavin Newsom did, including one that cooked someone's heart after he was let out. So many of them have reoffended. That's not pro-life, letting out murderers. That's not pro-life. Again, in his staff, I know it. I have it on good word. They actually encouraged and pressured state city councils to, to criminalize breathing. All the while saying, well, we don't have a statewide one. Those are the games they play. It's that double game. Hope yes, vote no meaning hope the bad thing gets through, but they'll personally kind of vote no. But all the ways in the background that grease the skids for it, they're not only not actively opposing it, they're downright on board with it. They're in bed with all the lobbies doing this, so they can't oppose it. That's the game. So I want to continue this discussion with my friend, the next guest, Russ Vogt, who really has been a voice in this antiquated conservative movement that I've been a part of for a number of years. Uh, he's worked in the House, he's worked in the Senate, and then he became Trump's OMB director, a cabinet member. If you remember, there was always jostling uh, for for different outcomes, it's almost like there were two administrations, so he always represented the side that wanted to do what's right for for people like us to represent the people, not the special interests. You know, sometimes he won out, sometimes he didn't. He worked in the think tank world. He's been a part of it. And we've worked in the trenches together for so many years, and we've always been together trying to push that envelope. Like, dude, what we're doing is not working. You know that. We need to do this. We need to do that. And like me has come to the conclusion, this is just this is just not working. That it's not just the party that has failed us, but clearly this movement doesn't know what time it is. And we need to coalesce new people who do. Um, but Russ is someone who has experience dealing with these issues, kind of bridging the old to the new. He started a new organization, Center for American Restoration. Um, so check them up online. You can follow him at Russ Vote, and that's spelled V-O-U-G-H-T on Twitter. Um, if you don't know about him, he is someone you should. He's not someone you're going to see on a lot of these big shows all the time. Um, but it's a voice that is much more important than those voices. So, Russ, I can't believe it's taken this long, but thanks so much <laughs> and welcome to Blaze Media today. Oh, thanks for having me. It's always good to uh, talk with Daniel Horowitz uh, uh, publicly and privately because no one else is a better voice on this. So it's fun to be back on with you. Well, that's what I figured. I would just take our private conversations that we have, you know, just between the two of us, just air it publicly so people could kind of get a sense of what we're up against. And we've been talking about not knowing what time it is, always fighting the wrong issue at the wrong time in the wrong way. Um, we're talking about the medical fascism we, we just talked about. In, in the Dallas Love Field Airport, they literally have a robot that goes around. This is Dallas, Texas. 
uh, Dallas Morning News had an article on it monitoring who's not wearing a mask, not just on the plane, but in the airport itself. And it's going on and on. And I want to get your comment on this statement before we get to the border and this hope yes, vote no, this double game. Tom Cotton, Senator Tom Cotton from Arkansas, and, you know, grading on a curve. I liked him better than others. He's been better on immigration and crime and issues like that. CDC just announced they're extending the criminalization of human breathing, including that of two-year-olds on planes, for another two weeks. He tweets, this is outrageous. Joe Biden is still forcing toddlers to wear a mask for no scientific reason while he doesn't wear a mask himself. The only way to end mask mandates is to vote Republican. And I'm thinking, dude, I've been yelping about this for two years, but these guys have been silent until about a month ago. Russ, isn't this what we see that they're always they they agree to what they're doing or they don't say anything. Then when it's too late because it's already gained so much steam, like, man, this is terrible. Vote Republican. Yeah, I mean, the problem is, is that you're going to vote Republican and I think people should vote Republican. Uh, but to the extent that you do, you're going to vote and, and you're not going to have any paradigms that, that shift as a result. Uh, you're going to have the same CDC. You're going to have the same NIH. You're going to have the same administrative state. You're going to have the same states that don't have any idea of the power that they have under the Constitution to push back against the, the COVID bureaucracy. And I think that's one of the challenges, and, and this actually bleeds into the conversation about the border, is that you know, we have to demand of all of our office holders, everyone that swears to the Constitution, that you actually use the powers that it gives you to push back. You actually have to, to be uh, using the moments that we have and not waiting on elections. Elections are important. They will not solve all of our problems. Court cases are important. They will not solve all of our problems. The only thing that will solve a, a, a vast majority of our problems is to have people in the arena who have already have these positions to do every single thing that they can and not to be defined by paradigms that were that were created 40, 50 years ago about that state kind of what their freedom of action is. And so that's the great frustration is that all of these people get into office and they just assume that whatever their general counsel said is the word on it. Did they pull up the statute themselves? Did they pull up the constitution themselves? No, most of the times they have not. And what I found in the OMB that, you know, someone would tell me, well, some, you can't do that. And I said, who tell, what, who says so? And I said, they would say the law. Okay, give me the law. Then I would read the law myself, and it wouldn't say that. And I had a great general counsel, and we worked together to actually be able to put things on paper that the president could do, fully legal, that accomplished his objectives. And so, you know, you know much of your thesis, Daniel, has been that, um, you know, this is the kind of things that need to come from the state and we've got to be able to battle this. But the idea that we're going to, you know, just everything hinges on election is, is just, you know, we're past that point. And I'll just say one last point. Our side doesn't know the difference between their interests and their positions. The left is never separated from their interests ever. So their positions are somewhat malleable because they are always cognizant of ensuring that their interests are accomplished. Mm. I think what you and I, Daniel, are preoccupied with never being away from our interests. What I mean by that is your position could be, I want to raise. Your reason, your interest for why you want that raise is that you want to be able 
to spend more time with your family. But if it, that raise requires you, you may get that raise, but if it requires you to spend all your time away from your family, you have now gotten your position at odds with your interests. That is the Republican Party. That is the conservative movement. We need something that is better than that or, and, and renewal within that. And that's why we've started the Center for Renewing America. You know, that's that's a really terrific point, interests and positions, because I feel like, and I'm not even talking about the typical dudes that you and I know about, the, the typical leadership guys, um, because I, I think they actually are doing a good job. They are promoting their interests, the special interests. They get on the conference calls every day with the industries. That's the world they live in, and you're not going to change them. But the ones that pretend to be more conservative, whether elected or even in the unelected kind of commentator think tank world – the problem is they love conservative movementing <laughs> and it's, it's an ends rather than a means, right? Like you're describing, it became an ends. Now, if you want to be principled and get things done, there might be an, an occasion where you want to hold the line on a certain principle, um, even though it, sometimes you get a, an outcome you don't like. And it's the whole kind of Scalia statement on different uh, jurisprudence. And, you know, you might have to side with a bad criminal because you just, you know, that's what you think the law is. And, and, and in a vacuum, it's true to an extent. But then you reach a point where conservatism conserves nothing but what's antithetical to what you started out with, like you said, with wanting to spend time with your family. So how, would, how do we operate in the world we live in today? And I want you to use the border as an example, where they will violate every single clause of the INA, or not just not st- stop the invasion, but orchestrate it, um, and it's not just a law; it's it's the underpinnings of a social compact of, of why you states even in, even join the federal union, and then you're dealing with the cascading effects of you know having millions of them, the criminal aliens, the cost, and now we're like, well, Daniel, now, 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 uh, you know, you can't deport illegals at a state level. That that's that that's the problem we have, and we're having that on every issue that. It's being turned against us. They had 20 outs in the inning, and then we get up to bat. Like, look, you want to reset the clock and you go back to three, I can do that. But until then, I want to get my 20 outs. Yeah. I mean, it it is a great example. Um, And it's, you know, I think there's a couple of levels to it. On the one hand, some of these uh, paradigms or uh, cocktail reception type answers of people that want to appear knowledgeable in a meeting about what you can and can't accomplish have never been considered or reconsidered by people looking at the constitution with some historical understanding of the debates that the framers had, um, what they were actually trying to preserve. And it's all encrusted caricatured positions. And we've got to break through that. One of the things we're doing on the border is to say, okay, what does the constitution actually allow? And we've done a lot of research, primarily around Article 4, Section 4, and Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3, to basically say, look, there are self-defense procedures in the Constitution reserved to the states if the federal government is not doing its job to protect uh, against invasion and when a governor sees an invasion is happening. And we did the research. We, From a, an originalist perspective, we did the research and we find they're not referring to just nation states. They're referring to militias, smugglers, obviously uh, Indian nations, 
And so they would have totally been aware of the potential to have what we see in the in we have a narco state along our border. The cartels have operational control of it. They know exactly what they're doing. They they send these mass numbers of people intentionally flowing to the border patrol. The border patrol spends all their time processing, does nothing else because they don't have the resources to, and their hands are tied because of federal law. And then every all the, the drugs go across where they're not looking. That's their goal. That's the cartels. And the founders would have known that we want the governors to be able to respond to this and to unilaterally give our sheriffs and National Guardsmen and, and state troopers the rules of engagement to say, you can apprehend, you can interdict, you can send these people back to the border, and you can probably do it within two hours. We know that based on Title 42 data under the Trump administration. This, so this is an example where all you have to do is bust through the paradigm of kind of the conservative legal establishment that just doesn't want to be for it. And when you, and, and when you really get into it, a lot of that time is because they don't want to put their career on the line because of, you know, it's, it's not, uh, it's not something that, uh, you know, they're confident is going to come out in the wash good for their career and their career ladder and, or they're just not actually serious about the problem. Um, And, you know, and, and I think that's what you really kind of get to, but you've got to, you've got to start by what's actually going to lead to results and, and then go from there and to kind of come up with a strategy and to think it through for what our options are. Results, and that's and that's it. And, and everyone should know that the Amer- uh, Center for American Restoration you have as a fellow there, Ken Cuccinelli. You worked with him in the Trump administration. He was at DHS, and he wrote the first memo to Arizona and worked with Arizona lawmakers on this notion of yes, you know, you don't have to sit and take an invasion and say, oh, I'll wait until the next presidential election or something to deal with it. Uh, you have a right to self-defense. Scalia articulated that in U.S. v. Arizona himself. Um, okay, so today in the news, there's a lot of information about trucks maybe being stopped at the border by Greg Abbott's new order. We have the first bus uh, shipment of illegals that he sent to D.C. He's getting a lot of good press on this. What is your feeling? Is this a paradigm shift from Greg Abbott, or is this another one of those things to keep keep us at bay but really not get results? No, it's political theater, and I think that's the great frustration is that our side orients itself towards the political theater instead of figuring out what will get the results done. Uh, we've given them a plan to do the latter. Um, it's still possible that, that Abbott may... Uh, go in this direction and that he's getting his mind wrapped around the legal case. Um, Arizona, with Brnovich's opinion, is ahead of Texas on that front. Ken Paxton has been asked by Matt Krause for a similar legal opinion. Paxton, we know, is working on it. Um, and so, you know, I, I hold out some hope that Abbott will, will do it. Um, I think next year, uh, if Republicans take uh, maintain the governorship, all the people running have basically adopted some form of this plan. And so Texas will follow Arizona. It's only a matter of time, I believe. But um, I do think what Abbott is doing, particularly with the busing of the immigrants uh, up to D.C. is theater. I'm supportive of the the checks at the border, um, you know, but this has to be there's really one basic thing that will stop the flow and one thing only. And that is returning people immediately to Mexico and putting them over the border. 
that is the central thing, and they need a particular legal doctrine to do that. And we've given them to cut through kind of the those saying that this is just a federal responsibility and states are just out of luck. No, exactly. And, and I think the thing with the busing that bothers me is, again, it's always a day late and a dollar short. Uh, they'll come to our position, you know, a number of years ago, but we held that position because that's what the time required. But precisely because they didn't do it at that time, the consequences, the magnitude and scope of the issue is much greater. And therefore, this is what it means. So it's not a matter of even even you know, utilizing more legal stuff and court proceedings and, and, and that stuff, it's, it's an invasion. You got to just stop it at the border and you got to turn them back. There's nothing um, around that. You know, I think for interior states that aren't at the border, maybe that's something you do interior removal to Washington that, uh, that I could, I could sit with, but he's in a different position there. Um, So talk about the broader thing that we're seeing a frustration that I find is you have rhinos like, let's pick DeWine in Ohio. So everyone knows he's openly antagonistic to conservatives, to really anyone who's not a special interest, and it's out in the open. But most Republican governors, what I'm finding is they have this double game, okay? And I want to open up this discussion a little bit. We're talking about knowing what time it is, knowing what's not, knowing what conservatives have failed on, the right issues in the right way at the right time. They keep coming back to the same algorithm they know. Guns, abortion, and taxes. And you look at the governors and legislatures. So you'll have DeWine will screw us even on those issues. But then most of them, they'll get all these headlines. They signed a, you know, a abortion ban. They signed constitutional carry. All these conservative publications write up on them, and no one ever heard of these guys. So, wow, as a conservative governor and elect more Republicans like that, this is awesome. But on the issues that matter, they're screwing us. And I know you're, unlike other D.C.-centric groups, you're working on some state issues. Can you talk a little bit about this phenomenon? Well, we uh, we see that phenomenon. We totally agree. And, and part of that is that uh, they have been trained or they believe um, and really the, you know, the, the difference is only, is, is only minimal between the two, but they have been trained to avoid cultural issues. Uh, and unfortunately cultural issues is the things that the left never compromises on. So they may compromise on, you know, what percentage increase of the federal budget or, you know, what your tax policy looks like. They may even fight it, but what they will not compromise is their onslaught of cultural values that they are after, uh, all oriented around a particular view of the autonomous self that is not up for grabs, and they will not stop. And our side either believes that their compromise is, that just this next compromise will be the last, or they actually secretly support it, or they hate conflict with their chamber of commerce or their hospital organizations or what have you, and they're just not simply willing to believe that it's enough of a problem, acknowledge that it's enough of a problem, let alone come up with a result that uh, meets the moment. So I'll give you an example. Spencer Cox and Eric Holcomb vetoed these bills to protect women's sports. And if you, if you go through Spencer Cox's um, veto message, it has those, this line that this is only you know a handful of, of kids, rarely has a handful of kids prompted this much fear within a, an entire state 
all of it's basically making the point. It's not a problem. I'm only even talking about this because I have to, because this is such a contrived cultural battle, but that's just not true. It fails to get your head out of the sand, look around and realize that we have a growing contagion that what's, which once was like 0.01 of our youth population and predominantly males is now a growing contagion. If you read all of the research and you see with your own eyes, based on what's coming across the commercials, watching the, the, the baseball game. So, uh, we have a, a real problem, and yet we, we have governors that have to be pushed at best to get into this, other than the only person that actually leads on this is Governor DeSantis. I mean, he's impossible to stay ahead of. It's like he, it's like he, is, he is right there with us, thinking through, trying to, with real uh, recognition of what is necessary for leadership to stay ahead, and he seems to do it. Uh, he rarely needs to be pushed into anything. Um, that's what we need more governors to do. And I can't think of really any governors beyond DeSantis that are showing this kind of leadership. Some of them are willing to, you know, to if, if their legislature puts a bill on their desk, they're willing to sign it. If there's a big fight on constitutional carry, they're willing to get it. But even that, that's on some of the issues that, you know, the conservative movement has not had a hard time focusing on. Very rarely are we seeing any governor going out there and saying, making it the, the, the central part of their state of a state. I need these cultural uh, bills on my desk that will protect my people from the cultural siege that they are seeing in their schools, in their communities, at times their families, because of the left's onslaught. And that's what we need in this country. Our center is meant to be an institutional support to make these debates national so that everyone working at the state and local level has the air support to know, hey, I might be working at this, the county level or the state legislature, but whatever they're talking about on television uh, is, is consistent with that. And similarly, we can help with model legislation and help with certain arguments that will come up that we will be able to unpack and be a, of assistance to those on the ground. You know, I must say on a positive note, I, I find we've been losing the culture war for about 15 to 17 years. I mean, the beginning of the 2000s, it was one after another. We were actually going on offense. We are fortifying the fight for marriage um, and the rainbow jihad. And then it just, the floor opened from under us. They just stopped and just, they, they tossed the fight. It was, it was a fake, the whole thing was fake. They tossed it and they just kept advancing and advancing and advancing i feel like with the anti-grooming movement we finally redefined the language but not see i like the sports bill i find is too parsimonious it's kind of like i'm not opposed to it but if that's all you're doing it's very limited it really is and, and like you said even then a lot of them don't even want to get into that we saw that even in, in south dakota but this the grooming is really like you said that's where it's coming from that's that's the palladium of the rainbow jihad, and I feel like they are so upset that we harnessed that, and we've gained a lot of momentum. So it tells me that it doesn't have to be this way, right? No, no. It, this this is what success looks like. This is what you know. This is the impact. We have them on the wrong side of eighty twenty issues all over the place, and. It's only the Republican political consultants that don't want to go along because they are they are worried about yesterday's 
uh, you know, political crisis that they don't want to have to deal with. But this is what success looks like in being able to not only be honest to the American people about what is most pressing and coming up with the results generated to it and legislating uh, aggressively in those, this is what's going to attract people of many different viewpoints to this, 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 these, these fights. Like independents care a lot about this. I have people come up to me all the time that says, you know, I'm not particularly partisan, but thank God for what you're doing so that my kid doesn't go to school and is considered a racist in second grade. And I don't want all this crap taught about, you know, sexualized conversations that, you know, there, if you go to libs on TikTok, we know they have, they are saying the quiet part out loud. This is their strategy. And, you know, the steps that are being taken to make sure that parents are in control of those conversations, you know, this is a supermajority waiting to happen outside. If people will continue to uh, go to navigate these, these, these uh, battles carefully uh, but aggressively and to, to meet the moment where it is. You know, you talk about meeting the moment where it is yesterday's fight. So we've been discussing that a lot recently, and I want to get your take on this. So I, I happen to think most of these people are compromised, and most of these people are downright on the other side, but there is a contingent, and I think the compromised people feast off of that contingent that they espouse yesterday's conservative issues and talking points. Mind you, at the time when it mattered, they they were tossing that fight too. It's kind of always a moving window. But they'll, they have this algorithm, and I call it intellectual laziness, assuming that they're not morally corrupt, which a lot of Republicans are um, and a lot of conservative organizations are. They they can't reinvent the wheel. So So – they have a list of conservative principles, and it's like it has to tickle the fancy of that principle. Oh, okay, okay, I'm abortion, okay, guns, okay, this is what a conservative is supposed to think. But you could be challenged with an entirely new issue. And I, before two years ago, I knew nothing about medicine, how to treat things, what the right thing is, the wrong thing is vaccines. Heck, when there was an, a, a, a measles outbreak, I went out and three years ago or four years ago and got another one. Um, I didn't know anything, but I learned. I followed the truth. Um, you find it with, with Russia and Ukraine. It's 1981 and we're defending the Soviet Union, you know, the Eastern Europe from the Soviet Union. They have, their, it's the Soviet Union, it's taxes, it's abortion, it's guns. And they can't think outside of that and um, I find they're distracting us with those issues. Are you finding that with your involvement in some of these states? Uh, I do. And, and I wrote a, a piece on this about the category confusion that we have on the right, which is, you know, we are we never look at beyond the category to understand what the purpose of the category was, which should inform whether that purpose is still being fulfilled. So like, the corporations of old, just to use an example, are no longer just corporations. They are arms of the regime, arms of government. So they have both privatized authority of coercion, uh, speech coercions. We know that in the big tech space, they have privatized uh, ways of coercing um, with their HR departments, all towards the same woke um, globalist uh, 
ideologies that the regime has because they they share all of the same things. And when they don't, they they're just they're going to take orders from the uh, the institutions in power because that's the easiest way for them to keep making money. And so we have to know that to know how we think about what the quote unquote free market is. We don't have a free market anymore. And so that should shape what we think about big tech reform, the role of the corporation, what we think about, uh, you know, all sorts of economic policies, how we respond to a, a, a corporation like Disney, all sorts of things flow from that central thing like, oh, my gosh, this is a corporation, so therefore we can't speak to it. Well, we have privatized tyranny increasingly in this country, and if if we're not okay, if we're if we're okay with that, we're not okay with that. We should probably have a come to to ground conversation about that underlying category. It's not what it says it is, um, and so you can think about that in a lot of different ways. You know, a, Christians in China know they don't have a free press and and, and a media that's going to accurately report on their persecution. So they don't expect that the media is going to report on those and they don't make that the basis on whether something is a problem or not. And I'm, I'm making that a comparison with, with what we saw after the election with voter fraud. And so we, every level of government, it's not just the states, federal, state, and local on the right have category confusion all over the place that is preventing our elites from providing the leadership that is necessary to be able to actually battle back against what the left is, is putting in front of us. No, definitely very well said. And, and I think that's why we need to keep up these fights local level. Obviously, the, um, you know, the critical race theory stuff, you really led on that when you were in the Trump administration. And that's, I know, a big passion of yours because that really does get to the heart of what the left is scared about. It, it's taking back your local communities. That's why the DOJ put out the memo on the school boards, because they knew that's where the power is. I think that's more important than the presidential elections that our side is just obsessed about in conservative talk radio and, and media. So that's all good. There's another issue I want you to talk about, because you and I have talked about this for over a decade. Um, and so then there's the next level. You finally succeed in breaking through to the Republican Party plat platform, so to speak, where it's okay to, in some way, talk about it, talk about culture in a certain way for certain issues, to talk about critical race theory. But then you go the route of Common Core. You, you run the risk of the, the second problem, which is once you get it on the radar where they can't ignore it, then they co-opt it. Okay, so, so everything is, oh, we got rid of Common Core. We got rid of critical race theory. We got every, meaning we're, we're so successful that it's almost like a road talking point. Every Republican supports what we say now, except they don't. Yeah. No, I mean, that's an, uh, I think that will always be a problem. It's particularly in a problem when our side is more concerned about winning elections and what's necessary to prove that they've done something when they haven't, you know, I, I, I'm more, I, our side, our, you know, me and you, Daniel, and, and the people that we've long labored in the trenches for, we've always said, you know, we want honesty. We want to, the American people are not idiots. They want to know to what extent we're making progress, to what extent we have work to do. Uh, they care about, they don't always expect that you're going to win every battle, but they want to see you fight. And so 
if you fight with all your might and sometimes you're just outgunned, people are smart people. They recognize that. Um, and that's always going to be a problem. But one of the things that are used for is that, you know, we're just not going to accept the, the viewpoint of the politicians that never wanted to start to fight in the first place. We're going to have to be at it left and right. And so, you know, one example that we're doing right now, we've got a major focus on critical race theory, but we're also doing work, you know, to ensure that the delivery mechanism before they even get to talking about critical race theory, about making sure kids are, you know, emotionally comfortable in the classroom is not something that, you know, we have not addressed. This is social emotional learning. And so that we've, we've tackled critical race theory, but the delivery mechanism allows for CRT by another name to be there for the next 10, 20 years. So we've got to be on top of it. We've got to be nimble. And honestly, this has to be driven from the outside in a way uh, by people that have the objective of actually accomplishing results and not those that, you know, are just kind of being um, are, are reluctantly coming to the fight. And I, and I think to take that point even further, another way to ensure that your anti-fight, right, your fight against something affirmatively that they're doing is successful and isn't co-opted into a black hole is to have a specific agenda to replace it. You know, the yesteryear's yeah. conservative movement is let's be passive. We don't want to, you know, just just don't 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 bother me and we'll be neutral. But you can't fight malignancy with neutrality. And so don't we need kind of like the 1776 project but to actively take a side, you could debate whether you want to have public schools. But if you're going to have that concept, a government-run school, and you're governor, shouldn't you actually be putting your thumb on that scale? I think so. I mean, I think that's one, you know, uh, you know I'm glad Hillsdale is doing this curriculum. Uh, I'm sure they're not the only one. But we've got to have um, emphases on what any you know, patriotic education uh, looks like to make sure that, you know, what you and I had a good understanding of when we went through school is something that, you know, um, those going through public education are going to get as well. I mean, they're, it, it's bad right now. I mean, I, I talked with one person that said, you know, they, they're not, they're not talking, they're not teaching uh, cursive writing anymore. So kids don't even know how to do a signature when they get to the point where they need to, you know, fill out mm. forms uh, in high school. I mean, it's, it's bad on a number of levels and we've got to have educators that, uh, know what time it is in their field and are, have the resources from places like Hillsdale and others that are thinking critically about this. Real quick. We only have a few minutes here and I know this is really a whole nother can of worms, but to bring it back to federal, um, I mean, I've given up. I, I just want my Noah's Ark. Give me one state and I'll do what I want. And you know, that's better than having no state. But what could we do at a federal level? You are OMB director. So for people to understand, it's not just the budget guy. Everyone is, okay, he's the guy who puts out the budget, but also Office of Management. So they manage the other bureaucracies. And you look at the scope of what's going on. And it to me, I let, let's say, let's just between us talk about Ron DeSantis. And you could press a button and get him as president. I don't see any and even put aside the whole Mitch McConnell, Kevin McCarthy, you know, Chamber of Commerce issue where you're not even fixing that. How do you how do you drain the swamp? There's nothing to drain. 
the entire FBI, like we see, they're 100% oriented to criminalizing humanity, while, as we see with every single massive attack in this country now, there were known wolves that they didn't do anything about. So how do you fix something like CDC and the FBI? Well, I, I honestly think we've got to do... A, it, nothing is going to happen if we have an, an unwillingness to starve them of money. And so one of the reasons that I am so uh, dogged about the federal funding fights is that until we have Republicans that are willing to pick so many fights on this, we're never going to have change. And it's not just about budget cutting. And, you know, I love that. It, it is. This is the woke bureaucracy. When you give a 30 percent increase to the Environmental Protection Agency, they're not doing that to enforce uh, all. You know, they're not that's not going to clean water and clean air. It's going for them to do criminal prosecutions against guys like a 77 year old Navy veteran named Joe Robertson, who spent 18 months of his last years on of his last time on Earth in prison because he built four ponds in violation of waters of the United States. You look at Department of Justice. They're not they're not using that money to go after bad guys. In some respects, they're using that money to foment many of the things we saw at Ferguson. And they're using it now, we know, to go and use the federal terror laws to go after concerned citizens. And that happens everywhere. IRS, they're not using that money to be able to ensure more money comes gets collected. They're using it to have audits on people that are politically disfavored in this country. And so at every agency, you see that. And if you're concerned federally, you got to make sure that those people are going to Congress and the presidency to go and say, we're going to go to war against the federal woke bureaucracy and that everything we do is going to be based on making sure that Congress gets the ability to legislate and does not give them any more power. And we starve them of the power that they have by, by turning off the spigot of resources to them. Oh, by the way, we will balance the budget in the process, but I think the immediate threat is that the American people will be protected in the process. And I think there's a lot of things we can do uh, at the federal level. It's one of the reasons that I, we have a holistic approach of federal, state, and local, but we want to make sure that there is another opportunity for someone like President Trump or, or, or Ron DeSantis or someone like that to come in, that they have the tools immediately not two years in after we figured out how to run these agencies immediately to start wielding the power on behalf of the American people. So real quick, how could people get involved with your organization? Do you have an activist base where people could sign up? We do. We have what's called Citizens for Renewing America. We have a Thursday call. We would love a lot of people to get on. If they go to Citizens for Renewing America and sign up, we will be in contact with you. We have some people locally uh, in, a, in a city nearby you, and we'd love to get you uh, active primarily to turn you into a resourced uh, leader. We already know that you're dedicated, but we want to turn you into the ability to, to uh, force multiply all the activism that you're already doing. If you've never done it before, we're going to give you the tools to be successful. Awesome. These sound like the strike force teams we need citizens uh, what is it? Citizens Renewing America. Citizens for Renewing America. Citizens yep. for Renewing America.com. Russ, thanks so much. I can't believe it took this long. We're going to have you back again. Um, good luck in all your work and God bless. All right. Thanks, Daniel. Bye. And there you have it, folks. That was Russ Vote. Again, it's the Center for American Restoration. He was the 
Office of Management and Budget Director under Trump. And people a lot of people never heard of him. They heard of the you know, Secretary of State and, and Secretary of Defense. He was the one always trying to move the administration to the right. And, you know, just terrific, godly man. I've learned a lot from him over the years. And uh, we've worked together on so many issues. Uh, there's very few like him. Um, but, you know, he's someone that... You know, one of the few people I know that's been involved in conservative politics for several decades who is kind of updated as the time goes on. Oh, like, you know, well, you know, maybe we obsessed about these issues before, but this issue is now where it's at. So they're they're doing a lot of good grassroots work on critical race theory, um, the schools, the grooming and all that stuff. And then also they have Ken Cuccinelli, who's pushing the state deportations um, and other good stuff. So def definitely get involved with their grassroots if you want to be a part of something that's actually meaningful, the right issue at the right time, the right way, knows what time it is. Again, that is the difference between an independent conservative who knows what time it is versus one who is just clueless. We're going to get a little bit back into some of the COVID stuff, but many other things as well. As again, this black nationalism problem, um, these hospital uh, weaponizing hospitals and the medical system to criminalize dissent on medical care. Lots of civilization killing issues. We are here to cover it for you. Send this show to every one of your friends and relatives and neighbors. Give us a five-star rating if you can on iTunes. Till tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.